Welcome to Don't Shrink Back, the podcast. We do a podcast version, also a video version of the series. You can find us at don'tshrinkback.com. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't Shrink Back comes from Hebrews 10.39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. More and more we see people culturally who just don't seem to want to stand up, but there are many people who are. This podcast celebrates people who are morally courageous, spiritually courageous, culturally courageous. So I hope you join us on this journey. I hope you tell somebody about it and find us at don'tshrinkback.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, don'tshrinkback.com. And you can email us if you'd like to offer suggestions for people you think should be highlighted as the courageous people they are. We hope to embolden you and enlighten you and entertain you too. I am so excited today to talk to Rick Eldridge, a man I've had the privilege to know for several years now. Uh, he's an incredible filmmaker. He's made over 20 films, right? You've been a part of, is that the number, something like that? Uh, it's uh, at least that many, yes. Okay, lots and lots of films for a very long time. We're going to get to some of those. He's got a brand new film coming out September 1st you really need to see called Never Give Up. You may not know the story, but we'll talk about it. I want to start with this, Rick, because you produce so many movies. And I recently watched... Uh, Bobby Jones, Stroke of Genius. Again, I hadn't seen it in a long time. And one of my favorite, and I, I, I was listening to one of the guys who was kind of in the background. I went, wait a minute, that's Alistair Begg. I yep. love him. One of my favorite pastors in America. Yeah. And yeah. I, I I said, oh my gosh, Alistair Begg. I mean, Jim Caviezel's in it. It's a great movie in all kinds of ways. But I didn't know that Alistair Begg was in it. That's so great. Right. Yep. That was fun. That's a great little story too. Uh, yeah. We uh, we actually had a... Uh, a guy in Scotland where we were first shooting who was playing the role of Stuart Maiden, who was okay. Stuart is a, uh, a, a Scottish golfer who comes to East Lake and, and becomes very influential in Bobby Jones's life. And uh, this guy uh, in, in Scotland, I won't mention his name. He's a very well-known actor in Scotland, but he just thought he was the, the hottest thing on the set oh. and was giving everybody a hard time. To the point that, uh, you know, after strike one, two, three, I just said, you know what, we're going to replace him. Mm. And uh, and so then it was like, well, who are we going to replace him with? And I said, I don't know yet, but we're going to replace him. Well, another one of my producers, John Shepard, was flying from Los Angeles uh, to Scotland to meet us and happened to be sitting next to this guy who had a Scottish brogue. And, and so they just started talking and found out, well, he was a pastor and then found out he loved golf. <laughs> and uh, and and then it was like, well, would you like to be in a movie? And oh, uh, that's how Alistair Begg got the part. <laughs> I love him. What, what just that's a phenomenal great. pastor. And I was just, I just got such a kick out of that. How was Caviezel to work with? I know, I know, you're not shocked at his success since then, but how was he to work with back uh, then? Jim was fantastic. You know, he Jim is such a uh, a method actor where he takes on the role and the character himself, and uh, and and he really, you know, studied the. Uh, the, the Bobby Jones dialect, which was a very Southern drawl, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the swing, which any golfer knew the Bobby Jones swing. So we had to get it right. Wow. So big student of, uh, of, of the uh, characters that he plays and, and it shows because he did such a phenomenal job for us. And uh, uh, we were very, very happy to be able to get Jim to be part of it. Yeah, it was absolutely great. So talk to me about Never Give Up. This is a story of Brad Minns, and yeah. a lot of people may not know the story. Uh, some people may not even realize there are deaf games that are, I mean, you know, by the Deaf Olympics, things like that. But people may not understand yeah. that. But going back, for those who don't know the story, and they'll see this in the movie, Brad Minns 
was born hearing at about a three years old. He got a, a bad fever, lost right. most of his hearing. And his parents made an interesting decision. They decided rather than institutionalize him, they didn't want to do that. They didn't even teach him sign language, which I, when I was you know, reading up on this and I was thinking that's actually very smart because if yeah. you do sign language, that's great if you're around hearing impaired people. But if yeah. you're in a public place or something else or in a classroom and he went to regular school, then, it, I mean, it made his life better to be able yep. to learn to read lips. That's right. And he was remarkable. I mean, yeah, they worked with him every day on this, obviously. And the family did not know how to sign. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. We, we kind of show this in the story, too. But when he's trying out for the Olympic team, he has to go to Gallaudet University, which is a deaf university. And uh, it's the first time he's ever met a deaf person. And, you know, and he's 20 years old. Okay. And uh, he, he walks up to people and tries to find out a, a location to go to to, to do what he's got to do. And people are getting mad at him because, the, you know, he's he's supposed to be deaf. But, he's, but you know, it, there's a question. Is this guy really deaf? Uh, and uh, and it, it, there's a line where, you know, he says, I don't understand why these people don't like me. And his dad says, they don't think you're deaf. And he says, cool. <laughs> you know, but uh, but he had never met a deaf person until that point. Right. Uh, if you're talking to Brad face to face, he read lips reads lips better than anybody I've ever met. I mean, it's it's remarkable. You know, he, he will not miss the conversation, uh, and and yet if somebody off off to the left of him says something, he won't even hear it. He won't even know that happened. And you kind of have to point, and 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 then he can turn and see and and hear. Uh, but uh, remarkable guy, and and he he is just such a charismatic personality. Uh, once I met Brad, I knew I had to tell his story because he was just so much energy, so much life in him and uh, and his love for God, just so strong. Uh, so it's been a fantastic experience and been good to work with him. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because he didn't become a Christian until about 20 years after this amazing right. tennis tournament that he won. Right. That he came back from what was it two two sets down? What was two sets? And he, I mean, he had one more shot and he was out, right? Yeah. Two sets, five games, 40 love, you know, that uh, on a tennis court means, you know, you're, you know, one, one shot and you're, you're out. He had triple set set match point. uh, And then uh, he had to come back all the way five games in that third set, win the set and then go on. And it took five and a half hours to play the match, but he came all the way back. Um, Sports Illustrated called it the biggest, come from behind victory ever on a tennis court, pro college or anything. And a phenomenal situation at at that point at a desperate moment, he did a three word prayer. He cried out, God help me. And uh, I think that was really part of a turning point in his life too. Uh, But it it, uh, got actually, and and he knew from growing up, he was in a a home that, that went to church and prayed for their meals and did all the, all the things you normally do. Uh, it was much later that he really found a heart for God, but I think that was a turning point to say God really cares about me. Right. And uh, pretty amazing, pretty powerful thing. Well, God was sowing some seeds, and then years later, when he was a bodybuilder, professional bodybuilder, yeah. one of his coaches right. would wear scripture on his shirt, which my yeah. pastor does. My pastor's a martial arts guy, also, and he'll wear scripture yeah. on his shirts. Yeah, he would tell people today, you know, yeah, I, I learned learned to know Christ reading my trainer's t-shirt, you know, and, uh, cause he had scripture <laughs> yeah. on his shirt and, uh, and, it. It, and it really convicted him, caused questions, opened up conversation and there you go. So yeah. uh, pretty amazing. Now let's talk yeah. about your career. You kind of got into the movie career because you were a very talented musician 
And it wasn't right. really necessarily the tack that you would have taken. Then you got into, you were asked to score a film and then you got into that and you got the bug. So talk a little bit about that for those who don't know your history. Well, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I've been in entertainment at one level or the other all my life. Uh, I love music. Uh, it's, it's my first degree was music. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the entree to film was just, as you say, I was uh, doing a piece at uh, BJ studios in Orlando, which is a very iconic studio where Molly Hatchett recorded their Burton with disaster album. And, you know, uh, a lot of the Southern rock and roll Leonard Skinner were all there working. So it was a vibrant studio. And I, I actually was doing a Florida symphony thing. Uh, and I uh, scored this and uh, the engineer who happened to be working on a movie for Harcourt Brace Shavanovich at the time, one of the biggest educators in our, our, our country with the school textbooks and such. And, um, it was called Kingdom of the Dinosaurs. Hmm. And so he says, Rick, have you ever thought about scoring movies? And I said, well, no, I've got a degree in music. I could love to. And uh, so we wound up doing that movie. And, uh, you know, the score won some awards. The movie won some awards. And the next call I got was from Disney saying, hey, you know, we, we uh, were nobody knows this yet, but we're building a studio in Orlando. Would you like to be part of it? And, uh, you know, my company actually grew to, to be on both the Universal and the Disney lot doing production for a large number of years and really gave me a lot of experience growing into that. And, you know, my music continued, but, uh, you know, I, I kind of began to develop. And I tell people today, I, you know, I used to write stories that were three minutes long and we call them songs. Now I write stories that are two hours long and we call them movies. Right. But uh, I'm still telling stories and uh, uh, having a lot of fun doing it. And uh haven't let the music go. Uh, you'll see a lot of my music in uh, in some of the films that we do. And uh, I love working with the composers and being a part of that process as well. Yeah, that's great. Well, once you're a musician in any capacity, you, you know, it's always in your blood a little bit. Oh, even yeah. if you don't do it for a living, even if you don't do it full time, you still right. you never give that up. You never give up your love of that. Yeah, well, it's such, it. and also you did the Mulligan. But people should know the Mulligan came out a couple of years yeah. ago. With great starring Pat Boone. Great movie. Great message. Thank you. Yes, we. That was my second golf movie. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was asked to do three other golf movies uh, after Bobby Jones because people really liked what we did with Bobby Jones. I guess I got a call from Disney and they called me in and and wanted me to uh, uh, kind of give them some advice on a movie they were doing that was a golf movie. Uh, there was a another golf film that uh, uh, that that was done. They actually came to my office right after. And I just said, no, I'm not ready to do another golf movie. But after Ultimate Gift, Ultimate Life, Ultimate Legacy, and several other movies in between, Mulligan was uh, was the second golf movie. And we just did that a couple of years ago. Uh, and um, phenomenal story of a, oh, yeah. a young corporate executive who, you know, thinks he's, he's, he's hot stuff. He's got everything going for him. And uh, he makes a fool of himself at this golf tournament he's playing in and the, uh, the pro, which is paid by Tom Lehman, says, you know what? You need to meet the old pro because he can give you some advice. And he thinks he's going to get a do-over on his golf game, right. which is a mulligan. His mulligan's right. a do-over. Uh, for those of you that don't play, it's like you get to hit it again. But so he thinks, okay, pro can show me something about my game, maybe help me. Uh, he winds up getting a do-over in life. Uh, he meets this old pro played by Pat Boone. And Pat did a phenomenal job. Yes, he, did. Uh, he was fantastic in the movie. Uh, just the perfect guy to play the old pro. 
So it was yeah, fantastic. Sitting on the rocking chair, just kind of watching, yep. taking the world in. What? <laughs> so right. you mentioned the golf movies and that you did, obviously you did the Bobby Jones movie. And before you did the Mulligan, you were asked to advise on what's the, what are some of the unique challenges of doing a golf movie? I, I wouldn't really, I mean, obviously you've got the, the <laughs> courses and things like that. I mean, they're very different than other kinds of movies. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that from a production point of view. Well, I mean, you're, you know, you, sometimes your your set is confined, you know, whether you're on a soundstage uh, and it's 10,000 square feet or you're in a location like a restaurant or a, whatever it happens to be. Uh, our sets on a golf shore, a good course work, you know, you know, three baseball fields or three football right. fields. I mean, it was huge. It's a, it's a golf course. Right. Uh, so a lot of logistics and setup, but, uh, you know, the, the story, uh, the you want to make sure when you're doing a film, just as we did with uh, Never Give Up, is that you you're you're authentic in your game. You know, there's purists that play golf that you know Bobby Jones is an icon. Uh, you know, you can't just dink the ball around and make a Bobby <laughs> Jones movie. You know, the guys. Right. So I mean, Jim Caviezel spent six weeks with a pro wow. learning the Bobby Jones swing, and uh, you know we had the same challenge with uh, Never Give Up, where we had uh, probably the hardest casting I've ever had to do. Because I had four brads that we had to hire. Wow. We had, we had a three-year-old Brad who at his birthday party, we realized he's deaf. And then we had a seven-year-old Brad who gets his first tennis racket and then learns to take tennis lessons. Then we had a 14-year-old a Brad who walks on the court of his high school and beats the number one senior player on his team. Uh, and then we've got the 20-year-old who wins a gold medal. So these guys were not just dinking it over the court. You know, they had to be able to play the game. Right. Uh, so they had to be great athletes. They had to be great tennis players. They had to be great actors. They had to understand the deaf element that we were playing with, uh, which means have somewhat of a speech impediment. And uh, so there was a lot to it. Wow. And, and then after that, they had to be convincing enough that they had the same coloring. They had the same look so that the seven-year-old Brad could be convincingly a 14-year-old and, you know, he's, he's not a, he's the same guy. So uh, a lot of challenges with that, but uh, we were so pleased with, with uh, the, the, the players in each level. And uh, you know, we were, we were very, very happy with, uh, with our actors, uh, Thomas Perigo, who, who was in, uh, in, in the, the Cobra Kai movie that just uh, the series it's out. He plays the son of, of, uh, of uh, you know, one of the main characters and, uh, so he's got some great acting chops and he did a phenomenal job. Uh, and then Harrison Stone played the 20 uh, year old Brad and uh, he's a pro tennis player who just happens to be an actor. And he was wow. fantastic. Did a great what, job. What, you know, you don't think about, you know, it's always a challenge to get the right person for the role. But as you mentioned, in the case of trying to get kid, yeah. you know, kids of various ages who could play Brad Mins and do it correctly. And, and it's, yep. you know, let's talk about Brad's faith because obviously the stuff that you do now is uh, faith-based primarily, but there's always a message in there. Right. But the difference between what you do and some other people do is your movies are really good. I remember, and I'm not <laughs> insulting anybody. I remember reading years ago, somebody had written about, well, why don't Christian movies do better it's and the person basically said because they're not good this is years ago but they've gotten yeah. much much better your movies are right. great people and anyone can see that you don't you're not hit over the head with a sledgehammer with any of this kind of thing and that's really important you're you're kind of sneaking it in on right they might not realize they're getting it and that really matters because you know people want to see something that's that they feel good about they a great message and yet yeah. at the end of the day they're maybe they're opening their ears and their hearts to something they hadn't thought about before yeah. 
Yeah, I think it has to be very natural. I mean, we we all struggle with stuff. I mean, everybody's got stuff, you know, and and so uh, you know, rather than be preachy, we try to tell stories that are real uh, with real characters that very naturally, you know, and, and they have a redemptive arc, you know, so that we see them go through struggles. We see them find solutions and uh, it's not always wrapped up in a bow either. But uh, it's uh, I think it's important to uh, to tell those kind of stories and uh, and identify with with audiences that way. It's a real challenge, but uh, I love doing it. Great. Yeah, it's it's so great. It, it's and I'm so looking forward to seeing it. it. Comes out September 1st, so Labor Day weekend, which is also when the U.S. Open happens. Correct for the tennis aficionado. Uh, right. Yeah, we we are so excited about the film. There's two things happening around the release. One is U.S. Open. We we thought about it. Well, you know, do we want to try to go up against U.S. Open? And then, and we we got back uh, resoundingly. Oh yeah, everybody's thinking tennis. That's right. Uh, they're they're looking at tennis. You know, yeah, let's do it. And that also happens to be uh, September 1st uh, is the beginning of Deaf Awareness Month. Okay. So uh, we we actually found that out after we'd picked the date and we're saying, wow, thanks, God. You know, perfect. And so uh, it just hits really well with what we're trying to do. And uh, so we're doing some things around that. We actually have a special premiere screening in New York before the release. That's uh, an open caption screening with Regal Cinemas. Uh, they've never done that before, and they're wow. they're excited about it. And we're inviting a lot of the deaf community to come out and experience the theater. That is fantastic. Just another element of how great this movie is between the redemptive value and also helping the deaf community. Fantastic. Great to talk to you again, Rick. Wishing you Thank much you. success with this. I know you'll have it. Very excited. Thank you. Appreciate you letting everybody right. know about it. Thank All you. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks. And you can find some more information at NeverGiveUpFilm.com. I'll put all the information in the description. You can find us at don'tshrinkback.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Don't Shrink Back. And remember, moral courage is always so important. Do the right thing, even if everybody else is against you, because that's what God wants us to do. You can email us at don'tshrinkback.com if you'd like to suggest somebody we could highlight for this podcast. Until we meet again, remember, don't shrink back. (laughs) 